joined by the offensive coordinator at Tulane, Will Hall. Will, it's great to have you here. Man, I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Will, this is your first season at Tulane, but you, you've had some some great stops along the way to get here. Um, with your your last uh, the 2018 campaign being at Memphis, and I think everybody knows. In fact, we wrote quite a few articles about the Memphis run game. You guys did an incredible job with that. Prior to that, you were at uh, Louisiana Lafayette as the OC. Uh, did some great things there, being among the best in the red zone. Um, spent some time at at West Georgia as a head coach at Division II. Um, and then just going all the way back for you, Coach, to, you know, playing ball, being the son of a coach, really growing up with the game, being a Harlan Hall winner in Division II, which is essentially the uh, Division II version of the Heisman Trophy. So uh, just a storied pass right now in, in everything that's brought you to this point as the offensive coordinator at Tulane. Um, just talk to us a little bit about, you know, the most memorable experiences you've had along the way as as you've developed. Thinking back to the beginning, you know, I'm sure it was Dad who who really showed you and was the model for you of wanting to get into coaching. Yeah, it really was. You know, I'm I'm truly a product of my environment. I got dropped off at the field house uh, when I was five years old, and, and every day since then, you know, uh, my dad is the second winningest uh, public school coach in Mississippi history. So I grew up in an environment where you, you won almost every week and just saw how he impacted people around him, uh, the communities around him, uh, the, the, just the impact he had uh, with rallying people and, and, and just the positive energy that he always had. And uh, I was a short quarterback. I played for him. and uh, But I'm a barefooted 5'8 guy, 5'7 and a half. So I, I played junior college ball for Bobby Franklin and, and – and uh, Northwest was kind of the big boys in JUCO football, and we had a we had a great run. Uh, we only lost one game in two years, and and then went and played for Mark Hudspeth and Kenny Edenfield and those guys at North Alabama. And at that time, uh, Coach Hood and them were coming in, and uh, uh, Coach Wallace, Bobby Wallace, had had left several years earlier, and UNA had kind of fallen on hard times, even though they had been a perennial powerhouse and. Came in with that crew, and in our second year, we went undefeated and won the conference and got beat on the road in the semifinals by North Dakota. And, uh, man, jumped straight into coaching. Uh, played D2 ball, obviously, so I coached D2 ball and got my first head job at age 30 at West Alabama. And uh, we had three great years there and then went to West Georgia and had three great years there and wanted to get into – wanted to get into division one and so uh, like i said you, you you talked about where i've been the past few years and very grateful to be with coach willie fritz people that know coach fritz know the winner he's been and the path he's taken and he's won everywhere and he's he's truly a man's man and a leader every day i come to work it's like getting to go to a master's class on leadership and how to be a man so it's it's been a great deal and, and we're on the verge of doing some great things at tulane i feel like and i know coach what we're going to focus on here today, you know, I'm really excited about uh, having just spent, I told you, spent a, a, the last week uh, at Quarterback Collective just watching some of those NFL guys work their craft. But, you know, I think the quarterback position is such a, a complex position that as coaches, we got to be able to, to boil it down for our players and really make it simple for them. And uh, you have a, a great process that you use with your QBs it starts with with the pre-snap and 
Um, then you look at just the different read categories. And so we're going to dig into those things today. Um, when you're looking at developing the quarterback, you know, what are some of those, those first things you're going to install to make sure that that guy is set up for success? Yeah, so, you know, when you're talking about the pre-snap uh, process we go through, uh, I'm, I'm a psychology major, Keith, so I'm, I'm big on, you know, that part of it. How do you teach? How do people learn? And uh, how can you apply that to everyday life? And when the bullets start flying, you know, you're going to fall back to, to how you're trained. So we try to keep it concise, and we try not to make it too complicated. And now, we train them on all the coverages and all those things uh, after a while. But what we do to, to, to simplify it early on is I've got an acronym I use with them, and it's called SOC, and SOC is S-O-C, and that stands for safeties to overhangs to corners. And so before the snap, I tell them every time we've got a socket, you know, we've got to check the safeties to the overhangs to the corners, and we really want to answer two questions. And those questions are, is it man or zone? Number one, and the second question is, if it's zone, then is it bail or cloud to the side we're working to? And we define bail by saying, if we threw a ball deep down the sideline, if the cornerback is supposed to be the guy that's supposed to defend that play, then it's bail. He's in a bail, some type of bail technique, which means if it's bail, then we should have underneath stretch by the underneath defender. They should have to expand. Uh, we define cloud by saying if we throw the ball deep down the sideline, if the safety is supposed to make that play, then we define that as cloud, and we tell our guys if it's cloud, then we should not get much underneath stretch from the underneath uh, defenders. So we want to, you know, we start off by looking at the safeties. We want to know how many are they. You know, is there one, two, or zero, or now three? Uh, you know, are they in, you know, how deep are they? What's their width? Are they wide? Are they outside the hashes or are they tight in relation to not just the hash, but also our formation? Um, you know, then we go to the overhangs, you know, to each side. A lot of times you'll only have an overhang to the field, obviously, but we want to scan both sides of the overhangs. Are they wide? Are they tight? Are there eyes on us as the quarterback? Are there eyes on a receiver? Um, uh, you know, what is their relationship to the tackle or to the receiver? And then we move out to the corners. Same thing. How deep are they? Are they are their eyes on us? Are their eyes on the wideout? And so on and so forth. Week to week, there may be a few different things. But what we're trying to decide, so, you know, we're not trying to get uh, right down to the tee with the quarterback. On, on We're not trying to define – down to the T, all these great sophisticated coverages we're seeing these days. We're really just trying to decide, is it man or zone? And if it's man, it's man. But if it's zone, is it bail or cloud? And, uh, you know, I feel like we can play with tempo. Uh, the way we've got our route structured, it gives the quarterback a great idea. He can define that to the side his eyes are starting. And uh, now from there, if the kid gets – if the kid gets more intelligent and more comfortable with our system, we do start teaching him all the coverages. And week to week by game plan, we tell him what all they play. But I really try to dummy it down for them to that right there where we can we can blow and go and play fast and, uh, and go from there. 
Yeah, I think it is very important for quarterbacks to understand those things. Um, I, I kind of want to dig into it a little bit more. I got a few questions with you because, I mean, a big part of, of what I would do with quarterback coaches, even with the, the quarterbacks I, I work with uh, now during the season, just watching their film is getting them to understand, you know, the defensive indicators and what they're going to end up in. And, uh, you know, I, as much as defenses try to disguise nowadays, most teams still have some kind of a tell to – um, what coverage that they're going to be in. Now, we would also have some tools with our cadence where if, if they didn't know, they could flush that out a little bit. But um, but I agree, if you're an up-tempo team, you, don't, you have to be able to look at a couple things and say this is what it is. So I'm interested, though, in the cloud or bail. And what are you able to, I guess, get from an indicator that helps you determine what that guy's going to do as you're going through the pre-snap process? Okay, so obviously, you know, starting off, if it's if it's one high or if there's a safety, let's say the quarterback's uh, going to start to the left, obviously if it's one high to that side, then it's got to be either man or bell. It can't be cloud. Right. But if there is a safety, it, let's, let's start to the boundary. If there's a safety uh, lined up all the way outside, uh, if we've got two receivers to the boundary, if we're in a four-wide look and he's lined up all the way over number two, okay, and, and, you know, then there's a chance at that point that it could be cloud. And, and you know, so it's going to be his relation to our formation as well as his relation to the hash on the field. Uh, also, you know, from there, we start talking about with the safety, how deep is he? Obviously, the deeper he is, the more likely it's going to be some type of cloud because he's not going to be in the run pit. Uh, if he's in that no-man's-land area like a lot of people play in quarters now where he can still be cloud or it could be quarters, you know, then we're scanning now out to the corner. You know, if the uh, if the overhang defender to that side is really tight, is really tight to the box, okay, and the corner is in an outside-in leverage with his eyes looking in at the quarterback, there's a great chance they're in some type of two-read palms or in true cover two where if he gets a quick out to the flat, that corner is going to be the one that has to take it. Uh, if the apex defender is really wide and he's moved out over two as well, uh, you know, there's there's a chance it could be Bill right there. And if the corner's eyes are on the receiver coupled with the apex defender being wide, and you got a great chance at it being Bill right there. So that's kind of where we start, you know, to each side. You know, it's how those, those guys work together, the safety to the overhang to the corner. Somebody's got to have the flat. Right. You know, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be either the corner or the overhang. So, coach, as you start to train this in with your players in this first year at Tulane, so you're going through it with all of them right now. Um, how do you install it? What what portion of the work are you doing in the classroom? What's on film? What's on walkthroughs or, or anything else you might put together? Yeah, we try to spend a lot of time with them in the classroom. Uh, now, I believe in the and proper teach progression. So we want to we want to talk about it. We want to install it in the classroom. We want to watch cut-ups of it. Then we want to go out and walk through it. Then we want to take it to the group's uh, setting, and then we want to do it in team. You know, so I I believe in that teach progression. I think I think it works. I think it works for all kinds of kids, uh, from the smartest kids all the way down to the not not as smart kids. So ideally, you know, that's the progression you go through. Sometimes you don't have that luxury and you got to go a little bit faster. 
but I, I, I enjoy getting in the classroom with them, uh, teaching them things, and then watching cut-ups and making them recite it back to me uh, as we as we watch the cut-ups. So we watch the cut-ups. The first thing our quarterbacks have to do is they have to sock it, and then they have to tell me what kind of read it is. Okay, we have, we have several read families of plays, what kind of read it is, and then they have to tell me to the particular side they're going to if they think it's man, bell, or cloud, and then we'll start playing the clip, and they got to tell me where they're going with the ball. And uh, that's, that's kind of the way we go through it. Uh, when I'm on the field with them, Keith, I'm big on trying to read it exactly like they do. I don't like to look at the script if the defensive plays are on there. I don't like uh, seeing what the defense is in. I like making myself sock it as well and read it like they do. And if I would have gone somewhere different than they would have on the play, uh, I'm very conscious of trying to not look at them and say, oh, man, I would have hit the dig right there. I would have hit the corner right there. I try to say, hey, what did you see? Uh-huh. You know, cause yeah. I, I want to see, I, I see what they saw. And if they have a good reason for it, I try not to ever – I try not to ever get upset with them as long as they complete passes. Uh, and that's what I tell them. A lot of times, in my opinion, playing the position and coaching it for a long time, I think there's way more than one good answer a lot of times playing quarterback. You know, I think it's a very difficult position to play. And I think there's a lot – sometimes there's more than one good answer on each particular pass play. And, uh, you know, that, that seat that he's got, is, is a tough seat in the house to be dropping back. You got to find a window. You got to read it. You got to make it happen. So, as long as his eyes are going in the direction that I train him to go in, his answer is right from the standpoint of where his eyes are looking. You know, now when we get back in the film room the next day, I'll tell him, hey, I would have hit the corner out right here and here's why. But I understand why you did what you did. So, coach, from there, it's, it's about the six categories the families that you put these read progressions into and and how they work uh, to fit into a certain family so give us an overview of those categories that you're going to install with your quarterbacks yeah so where we start is what we call swipe reads a lot of people call them scan reads we're going to put some type of we're going to put some type of high low uh you know to one side or the other whether that's some type of smash or, you know, some type of guy in the flat and a guy on the sideline. And then uh, we're going to bring everything into his line of sight. So we're going to bring everything to him, uh, whether that's the old West Coast flanker drive, whether that's the air raid wide cross. But we're going to bring things to him. So if he puts his – if we say he's looking left right now into the flat, and let's just say we've got – a smash concept going over there. We've got hitch to corner. Uh, I, I believe a kid can look to the flat, to a side, and see a corner route and a hitch in one viewpoint. I don't, I don't think you have to say the corner's one and the hitch is two mm-hmm. or the hitch is one and the corner's two. I think he can see both through one viewpoint. So he's socking it. He's trying to determine man, bell, or cloud. We're snapping it. His eyes go to it right now. Okay. As he drops back, the way we train the quarterback is he's going to put his eyes on that right now, and he's one, two, three. If his third step hits, he should have a decision made. He's either going to drive that ball into the hitch or to the corner, 
or he is going to gather. And a lot of people call it hitches in the pocket. We call it gathers. Uh, If he doesn't like it, and he is now going to gather to number one in his progression, if he has to gather again, he's to number two in his progression. And then if he has to gather again, he's to number three in his progression. So if we had smash to the boundary and we had the old air raid Y cross coming to it, he would be gathering number one to the Y cross. Then he would be gathering to the field post curl. And then he would be gathering to number three to the back. Uh, I'm big on starting right there with them, Keith, because I want to teach them how their eyes have to move slightly before their feet. And I want to teach them how to work through progressions and move around in the pocket without just putting their eyes somewhere, catching and throwing or taking off running. Because as you look across the landscape of football right now, there's a lot of good quarterbacks that can hit number one in their progression, but there's very few, I think, that can truly be calm and work to two and work to three. And so we want to train them that way from the beginning and start right there. So with our swipes, you know, we're going to have a, a high-low on the sideline or some type of out-to-end read on the sideline with routes moving into his line of sight. So he's always scanning back into routes coming to it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I love that concept. It's something we went to. Uh, you and I were talking a little bit before we hit record here about um, some of Dan Gonzalez's resources. And, you know, that that's a big progression that really that Dan taught me is – just the way the eyes work too, right? The eyes aren't going to necessarily bounce around, but they work better scanning that way and seeing things out in front of them. I think really, really helps the quarterback avoid those situations where he's throwing it to the wrong team. And I know when when we started creating more and more of those scan reads with our, our quarterbacks when I was at, at BW, those guys really liked it as well. They liked to be able to take their eyes and feet across the field like that and have things coming right into them. And, you know, when we would marry that up with some of our protection and the way we were trying to create the throwing lanes there, we, we, we tell them a lot, like, just look at this on film from from the end zone cam, and it looks like you're playing seven on seven. You've got a huge window that you're sitting in to look at routes coming right into you, right? So uh, just some huge advantages, and I, I agree. I think it's a great place to start. Yeah, Dan's been a great resource for me. I think he's done an awesome job developing a system and the way he thinks about things. I encourage anybody to read his very original book. Uh, I think it's Concepts of Modern Passing Game. I think he does a great job putting it into families. And, uh, of course, he's built off of that and, and does a phenomenal job. So, uh, but, yeah, I think, I think yeah, like you said, the quarterback, you know, you don't, you don't view things like a video camera. You're not – as your head moves – you know, if you if you stand still and you just turn your head from your left shoulder to your right shoulder as fast as you can back and forth, you're not going to see anything. It's not like a video camera. Your can't your eyes actually take pictures like a still shot camera. So you've got to move that head in front of your feet and get it into an area where you can see that area and process it. So we we start there just because of that, and so we can train them that way. So. What do you move on to from there? Yeah, so, you know, our other things we have, we have, you know, pick a side, you know, where you're going to have a concept on one side or the other. And when we pick a side, you know, that could be anything from one high, two high reads to man zone concepts together. Uh, just, just good old simple, you know, pick a side based off the looks we're getting that week. So you've got double combinations to each side. So that would be one. Uh, we've got, we've got a, a, a read we call RAS. 
which RAS is R-A-S, and RAS stands for Read Away from Safety. So those are going to all be some type of three vertical-type concepts versus two high teams. For instance, the old uh, three-by-one stick nod. So let's say we got stick nod to the field, so the tight end's running a stick and go through the middle. Uh, the slot is running an out, and he's looping back in to the middle of the field underneath like a like an out and back in five-yard crosser, if you will. And then to the boundary, we've got this single receiver on a burst corner route and the running back in the flat. Okay? So – we always raz the safety away from the middle route. So if the tight end's on a stick nine from the field, then we would be our eyes would be on the boundary safety. Okay. So as we're one, two, three, our eyes are on the boundary safety. If he gets width to the sideline, then we're going to gather number one to the stick nine. And if he's covered, then we will gather number two to that out and back in route coming underneath. Uh, going back to the beginning, if our eyes are on the boundary safety and he squeezes the middle or rotates to the middle, then we're one, two, three. As our third step is, we're going to gather number one to the corner route and then gather two to the flat. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, I love that kind of a concept as as well. And again, the thing you keep saying over and over is, you know, the the eyes and feet are moving through the progression together. That's, that was always a huge coaching point for me. I mean, especially, you know, beginning in camp as we're installing things, you know, getting on the quarterbacks, move your eyes and feet through the, through the progression, like start to feel the rhythm of that play because you're both are moving together. Your eyes and feet are taking you there. And uh, it's just a, I think it's, it's a very consistent way to start to get these guys to physically, and mentally move through their progressions? No doubt. I tell them all the time, you know, everybody talks about looking off, looking off, and looking off, but I tell them, guys, man, you've got to get your eyes where you're throwing. Uh, there's very few completions through the history of time. I know Pat Mahomes did it a little bit this year, but there's very few completions thrown by a quarterback where he's not looking. So, right. you know, we want to get our eyes where they're supposed to be, and, and through a lot of these things we're talking about, you know, your eyes will look off. If our eyes are on the boundary safety on a RAS read, then we're looking to the boundary and we're gathering to throw through the middle. And uh, so it, it can naturally happen. But but I'm big on his eyes know, or him knowing exactly where to put his eyes when the ball snaps. And that's really what our, our reads do. Um, we also have – a, uh, well, we have two types of, of RAS reads. We have a RAS high-low, which is what I just described, and then we have a RAS end-to-out. So, uh, you know, with a RAS end-to-out, we're going to look also, you know, we're always looking away from the middle of the field route. So if we had the old all-curl concept, uh, not necessarily Hank, but, but true blue all-curl where the middle curl is at that 10 to 14-yard depth, and we've got curls on the outside. Well, if that middle curl is coming from the field, then we're going to be looking at the boundary safety. And, you know, if the boundary safety rolls to the field, then now we're going middle curl to boundary curl to boundary flat. If that boundary safety stays to his side, then we're going to go middle curl to field curl to field flat. And, uh, you know, we we teach four verticals the same way. We're going to put our eyes because our field – we, we double bend both sides versus too high, but we say the field guy is the one that's going to get through the middle 
because the boundary guy is usually on the hash. So he, even though he can bend from his alignment, he doesn't really cross the hash or cross the ball. Mm-hmm. So our eyes are on the boundary safety. If he rolls to the middle and we're going to stay to the boundary, boundary seam to boundary outside to the check down. If he uh, stays on the boundary, then we're going to go field seam bender to field uh, outside guy to the check down. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. I mean, it's a consistent consistent progression that you're teaching. So the, the carryover is what I really like. So you could plug in all kinds of different route concepts into this. But when you define form, it's this kind of a read. I think now you, you've simplified it for him immensely because he starts to see that same as uh, type of, of uh, feel for things. Exactly. Uh, let's see. So that's four of them. Okay. Fifth is a is a ram read. Okay. So on a ram read, all right, it's just like what uh, Dan Gonzalez, it's Dan Gonzalez all the way. I got to give him credit for it. So RAM stands for read away from Mike. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to put some type of in-to-out concept to both sides of the field, okay? And, uh, you know, whatever. if you had snag to one side, that's an in-to-out concept, or a curl flat to one side, and then you had a dig and a sit-down route to the back side. Are you following me right there? Yep. Um, so, you know, anytime there's two end-out concepts, the way I teach end-out reads is we always want to hold the mic and then key the flat defender. So if we're in a half-scale period, we always want to try to stare through that mic's inside shoulder, and then we want to gather and read the, the, the flat defender. So we're going end-out on our read. Well, if you've got two end-outs, there's no reason to hold the, the, the number three or the mic to and anymore we can just go away from it you know so if uh, we got snagged to the field and that uh dig sit down to the boundary if the mic works the field then we're going we're gathering and we're going dig to sit down to the boundary one to two if the mic hangs or holds in the box then we're going snag the flat to the field does that make sense yeah yeah i, I love that read. we always I, go ahead. I, I, well i would say that's a, a really good read too for the high school level i mean if you're looking at you know, where can you start with things and just, you know, the idea of let's make the quarterback right, let's build his confidence, let's give him easy throws. I really think setting things up with your Ram read is is a, a great way for that younger quarterback to have some success. I agree 100%. We lived in the Ram read world, you know, a lot up until probably five or six years ago when we started seeing more and more one high you know, with the RPOs and, and so much more one high. But it's a great two high, specifically, if you can get cloud to one side or the other. It's a great way, you know, to manipulate open people. And, uh, you know, so we always define the guy we're ramming as the, as the, the third guy from the two-man concept. So just in case we get one high or drop eight, find the first guy. The next guy inside, we don't count deep safeties. So the next guy that's not a deep safety inside of him is number two, and the next guy would be three. So if it's a, just for being basic right now, if it's traditional 4-3 defense, the mic would always be the mic. But with all the three-man front and all that stuff, 
we always count from the two receiver side to decide who we're going to work away from. Does that make sense? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I think, you know, going back to what you said, I agree. Uh, the uh, the RPO world is, is uh, causing you to see more of those one highs. So it does make it difficult. I would say this, like one place I loved to make sure we always had a, a pretty good Ram read package together would be uh, in our empty stuff. I know you're, you like to use the hybrids and a lot of tight ends on the field. We did too. We just would keep them and spread them out. Uh, we didn't necessarily need them to be killing things vertically either when we were going with some Ram reads. So I think, you know, if you want to, I don't know a lot of teams that really stick with one high against empty. Uh, typically you'll start to see two high. And I think that's, that's just a great way to start that attack there. And again, very simple and, and protection friendly as well. No doubt. No doubt. That's a great point. So that, and then our sixth read that we have is what we call a levels read. And uh, on a levels read, you're always going to have a shot. So it's going to be a post or a go ball or some type of deep ball shot. And that's where your eyes are going to right now. After that, you're going to be gathering to one is going to be some type of high and two is going to be some type of low. So if we look at the traditional scissors concept where the outside receiver is on a post the inside receiver is on a corner route where he's coming underneath the post and then the third guy's in the flat however you get him there that would be a levels read for us so the quarterback knows right now on a level his eyes go to the shot right now so he's going to put his eyes in the post area okay so he's one two three if he's got it he's going to gather and he's going to launch that post if he's unsure or uncertain about it, he's going to gather the number one to the corner route, and he would gather number two to the flat. So that would be an example of a levels read for us. Anytime there's a shot to a high to a low. Does that make sense? Yep. So and the- so every everything we do falls into one of those six categories. Once they're taught to him, we can install a play and say, hey, it's a ras high low, or hey, it's a levels and uh, we're we're and we're ready to roll. I think as as I've listened to you describe really all these things, um, you know, you've built in a lot of calibration to the passing game with what your guys are doing with their eyes and their feet. And it's something I, I really I learned from Dan. I learned more, you know, in studying some of, of Dub Maddox's stuff and. We implemented in, in Homer Smith really is where a lot of this originates from. Homer Smith was talking about calibrating routes to the tenth of the second decades ago, right in his book. So, um, yeah, the the power of that I think is really good in training your quarterbacks. I I think I've talked on an, on the podcast recently about just we would use a stopwatch in practice, and those guys really would start to understand based on what they, when they let the ball go, how many gather steps they took, or if they threw it on rhythm, on how fast that ball was coming out. And typically, you know, we'd, we'd get to the point early on, I'd just read them the number and teach them, like, this is typically when this kind of ball comes out, we'd like to see it out at this time. As they start to get a feel for it, I'd ask them, like, when did that come out? And they'd be like, yeah, it, was, it felt like about a 2.4, Coach. So exactly it right here. They'd get it within a, you know, within a tenth of a second. And any time we'd have – freshmen coming in they were always in awe we'd sit in the film room and, and these guys were like human stopwatches rattling off these numbers to the <laughs> tenth of a tenth of a second but it, it truly is calibrated by the feet I mean it's going to be essentially I believe it's it's two tenths of a second for every gather step so 
you drop back in the pocket, you're going to throw your rhythm on about 1.8 to, to 2.0, and then every hit step from there is going to add about uh, two-tenths of a second to the progression. So if I'm taking two, a lot of times, like for us, we're a big four-verts team, and we throw that like to throw that comeback to the boundary. We get two hit steps up to it, and the ball's out in 2.6. And if it's and we'd always tell them like, hey, you take two, it's not out, get out. And uh, I mean, you yep. talk about something, you know, that really is helping those guys up front and helping the protection that uh, you don't have a guy sitting back there patting the ball all day trying to figure out where the mm-hmm. heck to go. That you've created the mechanism with the eyes and the feet that that take him to where he needs to be or to get out of there. I agree 100%. I, I, I think it, it has to work with his feet. I think as you go through it, one thing that's been big for us as well is teaching them that, that, that not every drop's the same, you know, that mm-hmm. teaching them how to tempo their drops. So, you know, if, if we're pulling four verticals and they're rolling to one high and, you know, that, that one, two, three gather to drive that scene in there is a whole different tempo then a levels read scissors concept where I'm one, two, three gathering to throw a field corner out. Right. Does that make sense? Yep. And uh, because we all know kids, kids can throw the ball, you know, so much better if they're out in the yard and they go one, two, three, gather up and throw. I mean, so trying to get them always to where when they're throwing number one in their progression, they're hitting that third step and they're gathering to launch that ball and teaching them how to tempo their drop within the route structures, I think is the next step of it. And, uh, you know, once they can get all that, you got, you got a chance right there. Absolutely. Um, well, coach, as we, we move on a little bit and talk about a few things here as we lead up to camp, I know, um, one of the big things you said in, in one of your interviews, uh, after you took this job was that, you know, we're going to work, to be able to play really, really fast, that it's easier to start that way and then to slow it down. It's easier to slow down than it is to try to build it up. I couldn't agree more. I think if you are going to be a multiple-tempo team, uh, don't put in your slow tempos first. Save those towards the end of the install and really get the guys to move because slowing them down, you're right, that's the easy part, right? But you want that mentality right away and really, the, the thought process, you want them processing and moving things a, a heck of a lot quicker. And I think if you install it the opposite way and you give them time to process, that's what, what their timing is. That's where they're going to be. And you won't maximize the ability to get that fast tempo out of them. Exactly. I agree 100%. If you want to be a tempo team, you know, early on in the installation process, you've got to teach it that way. And you've got to you've got to install plays early on that you can go out there and run no matter what. And there's not a lot of calls, you know. There's not a lot of, you know. So like I said early on, we're going to be a tight zone inside zone and install, and we're going to be a swipe read where he's putting his eyes to one flat or the other, and we're playing because we've got to get, especially when you're coming to a place that has not been tempo and you're doing it for the first time, you've got to get them going. You've got to teach them. You know, like you said, you can always slow them down, but speeding them up, man, I, I, I would hate to have to try that. And really a lot of that is, is on the coaches and how you set up the practice and then how you uh, to execute the practice, right? So in looking at those two aspects of it, what, what are you doing? What are you guys doing as, as the coaching staff and obviously some of your support staff too to make sure that 
we are going as fast as we can in practice. What tips do you have to those those guys out there who are putting a you know a, a tempo offense in for the first time or at a new place? Yeah, so you know you've got to make sure that your that your verbiage and your system is set up for it. You know, I mean, I came up, uh, you know, my college my college roommate was Chip Long, who's the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame, and uh, you know we're really close to this day because obviously we lived together in college. And, he came up under Bobby Petrino, so that was a huge impact on me. So our our passing game early on through my career was very Petrino-like from a verbiage standpoint where you had the numbers and then the tags. And, and uh, you know, when you start going tempo, you've got to consolidate those things. And everybody talks about words, but really it's more about the signals because you're signaling everything. So uh, you, you've got to consolidate it to where the signals don't take long to get it into them. So that's the first thing you got to do is make sure your system is conducive from a signal standpoint to get that done. However you do that, whatever fits your your brain and how you work. The next thing is you got to be very demanding, uh, you know, from the get-go with them. And, but then you've got to be realistic with them. You know, you've got to give them plays. You know, if you're going to – if you're going to be a team that only runs um, – outside zone to the open beak out and you're going to install that on day one but you want your kids to play fast and you're playing a multiple front defense team on day one and you're installed all of a sudden you want your kids to play fast but the quarterback's got to check it to the open beak out that's not very realistic you know so you've got to be you know you got to be realistic with your install and uh and, and give the kids a chance to get the feel for that and everywhere i've been uh you know i feel like I feel like the kids love it because they understand that the more times you snap it, the more touches they get. And, uh, and I thought I thought Coach Norvell at Memphis was phenomenal, you know, with tempo and and, and all that. So, uh, you know, obviously obviously he's always been very good, and and uh, we we were good during that time. Coach, another I know another kind of I guess pillar of, of of the offense you're installing here is to use a lot of hybrid guys. Um, whether it's those those tight ends uh, who can line up, you know, in, inside and, and create the extra gaps, and then go outside and catch the ball in space, or the running backs who, um, you know, are going to do some things in the backfield, but but can also get out on routes. Um, and I think too, when you you add in the receiver here and there who can come in motion and, and get the ball and, and do something with the you know the ball as a, a runner, I think now you you really have a powerful offense and it seems like that's the trend nowadays that you're starting to see more and more of these hybrid type guys very dynamic bigger bodies uh at the tight end position um as well as you know those those running backs who aren't specialized um and and they essentially do become that that three down back they're not coming out of the game uh because it's third down or or because we're into a different situation so um with that in mind looking at you know putting together an installation plan where you start to uh, to utilize all those different kinds of personnel. Um, how are you, you know, how are you putting that together and what's your thought process in, in utilizing those guys and making sure uh, you're getting all those concepts in with the, the different variations of personnel? Yeah, so, you know, I think the first thing in the offseason – you know, before you start spring ball or anything, you've got to decide what all are we going to ask these guys to do uh, because there's so much practice time. 
you know, they've got to be – if you're going to ask them to be involved in the run game, then they're going to have to spend time. If you're going to ask them to work combination blocks with the tackle, they're going to have to spend time with the tackle. Uh, you know, so you've you got to decide what all am I going to ask them to do in the routes, you know, in the routes you're going to run. You know, what all am I going to ask them to do when they're lined up in the slot? What all am I going to ask them to do when they're lined up outside? What all am I going to ask them to do when they're in the box? And you've got to kind of build, uh, you know, a toolbox with those guys because and, – and as you build it, I think you'll start to see, you know, man, there, there's no way we can get all this done sometimes with them. So you, you've got to really look at it just from those individual players and see what all you're going to ask them to do and whittle it down to how you structure your practices and how much practice time you've got to figure out uh, what all you can do with them. Because I, I, I do agree with you. I think I think they're the answer. I think they're the ones that, that give us the ability to be multiple. Uh, you know, the backs that can go in and out of the backfield along with the tight ends. So, you you know, you've got you've to work that. Because if you're going to ask them to be in the box and work combinations with the tackle, they're going to have to work that. If you're going to ask them to be an outside guy and an inside guy, they're going to have to work that. So we're big on making sure our two and, and I think you got to lay a great foundation with them. You know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, you know, we try to do the hardest things. We try to make sure we do the hardest things initially with them. So you know, what's hard? Well, if he's a if he's a kid that likes to he's a he's a kid that likes to run and catch passes, the hardest thing you're going to ask him to do zone with a tackle up to a backer or double team with a tackle to a backside backer and a gap scheme. So we want to make sure we're doing that early on with him so we're working those things that he's struggling with. You know, running a five-yard out is probably not going to be that tough for that guy, you know. And uh, so that's kind of where we start. And then, you know, Keith, every kid's different. Every situation's different. You just kind of got to go from there. But if you're doing more with them than you can practice, it's probably not going to be very good. (laughs) No, that's exactly it. Um, well, Coach, I, I love the ideas you share with us here. A lot of these things that uh, definitely are applicable to um, the, the listeners out there as they get into uh, the beginning of their installs where uh, they're getting ready to, to tee it up. Um, I appreciate you sharing all these ideas. Uh, the, you know, having listened, the, the one question I always want to finish with is, is the winning edge question. So, you know, looking at all the things you do as a coach and, and all your experiences What's the one thing you do that really you really feel gives your guys the winning edge? Yeah, I think uh, I, I'm big on attitude. I'm big on uh, you know, no matter what uh, hand you're dealt, you've got to play that hand, and ultimately it's your responsibility to be successful. But more than that, I think it's your responsibility to impact people in a positive way. And uh, so that's something we talk about every day. It's something we end every meeting with is, uh, you know, we break it down on AIE, which stands for attitude is everything, and only you get to choose yours. And, uh, you know, we define that by, you know, treating others, just a good old golden rule, man. Treat others the way you would want to be treated, and everybody you come in contact with is going to be impacted by you. You don't get that choice. You know, they're going to be impacted by you, good or bad. Make sure, you know, you're leaving places better than you found it. Make sure that you're impacting people and, and pumping their tires, not deflating their tires. And that's something that uh, my dad, you know, was always instilled with me and something I carried with me to every program I've been in and uh, something that coincides with Coach Fritz very well here. And and uh, so, yeah, that, that, that's that's kind of my, my foundation, I guess you'd say. 
Well, for our listeners out there, be sure to follow Coach Hall on Twitter and follow him throughout the season. It's at Coach underscore Hall 7 on Twitter. And, uh, Coach, really excited to see what you guys do this year. Uh, Thank you for taking the time here before things got rolling. And uh, best of luck to you in the Green Wave in 2019. Thanks so much, Keith. Really appreciate all you do for the profession and and love listening uh, as much as I can. Thank you again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Please, if you are enjoying the podcast, head over to iTunes or Spotify and click five-star for a rate. If you have a minute, write a review. It really helps the podcast. Check out our new home for the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. That's at coachandcoordinator.com. And follow me on Twitter at Coach K. Grabowski.